to worship. Um, as we are here, some of us, as others of us are gathering at home, we do remind ourselves that this is a time of worship, a time where we come before God, we bring our praises, we bring our prayers, we bring our singing, although softly today, um, our listening to and learning from the word of God, as well as our tithes and offerings to God for his glory. Just a couple of announcements. Today is Memorial Day. I hope everybody has uh, safe plans for tomorrow. But, uh, this weekend is a time where in the midst of our celebration, we remember those who, um, as one person put it, uh, never left their uniform. They died in the service to our country. And so we thank God for the men and women who are willing to sacrifice so that we might have the freedoms that we have today. So um, take some time and thank God for their service, for their sacrifice this weekend. Also, just a reminder, we are still looking for someone uh, to be treasurer uh, beginning in January of 2021. So if you're if you have um, skills in that area and would like to use those skills, please talk to either me or to one of the elders. Um, that would be Jerry, Chris or Bob. Um, are there any other announcements today? Yeah, congratulations to all of our graduates as they are uh, kind of in a weird way preparing for the next stage of their life. We have Zachary's graduating this year, Ethan and Justin uh, Hilton. So we thank God for them and we pray for them. Did I miss anybody? Zach Turner's graduating this year too, yes. So thanks. Any other announcements? Well, if not, our call to worship today, it comes from Psalm 149. Sorry for the typo there in the bulletin. We've got to get used to typos in the bulletin again. Yep. Uh, but no, uh, Psalm 49, uh, our call to worship. Hear these words from God. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you for the glory that you promised to us. And we do thank you for the promise that you give that one day we will all sit before you. All who are have sinned against you will stand before you as you sit on your throne, judging those who have sinned against you. And we thank you as well that we can enter that presence with the hope of knowing that for those who repent, that for those who believe, you offer salvation through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we gather here today, help us to find rest in that knowledge. Rest in knowing that your will has been done on earth as it is in heaven, and that righteousness is ours. We are here today to worship you, and we worship by praying to you, especially as you have taught us. Our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 101. And I just want to explain something I said just a few moments ago. For those of you that don't know, when I pick on the person that puts typos in the bulletin, that person is me. So please don't feel I'm being mean to anybody but myself. But we have an opportunity to lift our voices in song, reminding ourselves that God has created all things. God has created this world. And so let us stand and sing, albeit quietly. This is my father's world. Hymn 101. Please bow your heads as I pray our prayer of confession today. O God, most high, though we spend much time toiling, troubled and distressed, you are forever at peace. Your plans cause you no fear or anxiety. They stand as solid as the eternal hills. Your power knows no limits and your loving goodness, no boundaries. You bring order out of our confusion, triumphing in our greatest defeats. 
as you rule over the intricacies of this universe, come and reign over the riot of our fearful hearts and minds. Though we should trust you, we are prone to walking through life with heavy hearts and chaotic minds. We worry about our health, finances, friendships, work, and families. We fret anxiously about losing all the good things you have given us, forgetting to thank you often. Father, forgive us. Lord, we are fearful of our own sinful hearts. We make promises to you we can never keep and fall into despair or bitterness when we cannot live up to our own expectations. When we try to obey you and fail, we fear your anger and disappointment and are deeply embarrassed by our inability. When we are so weak that we don't even want to obey you, we wonder if we are Christians at all and run from you in shame. Father, give us peace with our weakness. Help us to accept the truth that as long as we live here on earth, we will be depraved people wrestling with sin, yet bearing the glorious image of your son and safely sealed by his blood. Let us be unsurprised by our sins and depravity, but freshly astounded by your love for us in Christ. Thank you for our precious Savior who put off his glory and put on our sins so that we could put off our condemnation and put on his robes of joyful obedience. Show us Christ, walking through this chaotic and sinful world, bringing peace to creation, stilling waves and quieting souls with equal ease. Show us Christ, receiving blows of shame in the greatest humiliation in all history and enduring it with peace, confidence, and unswerving love for us. Show us Christ, forever standing before your throne, wearing our flesh and pleading for us, protecting and defending us. Oh God, melt our hearts with this truth until we delight to obey you with hearts overflowing with thanksgiving and unshakable joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear these words of assurance from Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is one of Paul's letter to the church of Thessalonica. And our reading today comes 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For we know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, 
who gives you his Holy Spirit. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord does stand forever. Now is the time when we would typically collect the tithes and offerings as opportunities for us to worship God with the good things that he has given to us. There are opportunities for you to do so. There's a basket here. There's an offering plate on the way out there in the entrance to the church. And so please drop those off. Or as I've said, if you're more comfortable mailing them in, please continue to mail them in. Thank you to those who have continued to give throughout this difficult time who have remembered uh, God's work here at this church. God, you are great above. We thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you through the giving of our tithes and offerings. Remind us that you are the one who gives graciously to all of his people. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Please remain standing and let's turn in the hymnal to number 135. Fairest Lord Jesus. We talk today about the cross in Sunday school, and we don't often think of the beauty of the cross. We think of the horror of the cross. We think of the ugliness of the cross, but the beauty is the righteousness and the grace that pours forth from the cross. And so let us remain standing and sing hymn number 135, Fairest Lord Jesus.
be seated. Was there another verse? Oh, oh, sorry. We'll sing the last verse there. again, we are professing what it is that we believe, and um, you have it there in your bulletin. It will also be on the wall as we profess um, the Apostles' Creed. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, just a couple of prayer updates. Um, Please do remember our graduates in your prayers as they look forward to uh, the next phase in their life, whatever that may be. Please lift them up, pray for them. Please pray for a dear friend of mine. His name is Kim Payne. His mom uh, was taken to the ER last night. She tested negative for the coronavirus, but she has a pretty severe case of um, pneumonia. Um, So please be praying for her. She's in her late 80s. And of course, with everything going on, no family is allowed into the hospital to visit her. Also pray for Michelle's grandmother, Melba. Many of you met her. Um, when she was here last year, she's been in the hospital. She's fine. She should be able to go home, but with the restrictions on returning to uh, her assisted living facility there in Florida until the right person is on duty, she cannot be received back to the assisted living facility. And with a holiday weekend, that person will be there Tuesday. So she's stuck in the hospital um, for another few days, even though um, she's ready to come home. So please be praying for her. And once again, she has no visitors. Any other prayer requests? So Cohen Bramley, we've been praying for him. Uh, As many of you know, he had the bone marrow transplant several months ago, which gives him a a greatly uh, uh, suppressed immune system. Uh, but he's been in and out of the hospital through the, all the middle of this. So 
please be praying for the Bramleys. Anything else? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our great God and Holy Father, we do know that you are the God who is sovereign over all of creation. And as we've already prayed, as we've already confessed, we forget that oftentimes and we get fearful over the way life happens, the way life unfolds. Some of that fear is 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 based in the fact that we think we have far more control than we do. And when things happen that show us how little control we have, we we begin to get fearful. Other times that fear comes because we don't trust you enough. And so, Lord, help us in both of those areas. Help us to remember as we read your word, as we study it and internalize it, as we see your handiwork in creation. Remind us of the two truths that, number one, you are in control and we are not. And number two, because of that, we can rest in you and find peace in you. And as we still are in the midst of this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic and um, working to try and get life back together to figure out what normal is, to find out if normal ever really existed. Help us to just rest in your goodness, rest in your provision, to rest in your sovereignty, knowing that no matter how chaotic things things seem to us, there is no chaos in you, that you are in complete and total control and that you are good and loving toward your world and toward your people. Help us to find peace in that. Help us to find rest. Lord, we thank you for um, numbers that seemingly seem to be continue to be going in the correct direction with this virus. And thank you for um, the ability to uh, go to a restaurant once again and sit down and eat Um, even though that's a little bit different still as well. There are still reminders there as we see half the restaurants empty because of restrictions. But we do thank you for the progress that we have made and help us to be mindful of that, that we are progressing and that as we learn more about this virus, more things will hopefully open back up. We pray for those who are in danger because of this virus, those who are in high-risk categories Uh, sometimes because of their age, sometimes because of health conditions that they have, um, sometimes because they don't have access to medical treatment like we do. We think of the developing world, um, places in Latin America, South America, and in Africa that um, do not have the economic and medical advantages that we have. And we ask that you raise up people to go help in those areas, and that also that you give them an extra measure of fight against this virus so that they might be protected from it so that it may be not quite as devastating as it could be and that people might see your hand in that and glorify you for it. What do we lift up uh, these people that are in the hospital? I think of my friend Kim's mom. I think of Melba. And I ask that you bring healing and peace and comfort to both them and to their families. Or we pray for Cohen and lift him up that you continue to provide him strength and healing and be with his family as well as they uh, try to go through this difficult time with him. Lord, we know that you are the God who hears and we also know that you are the God who speaks. And so as we have already professed the truth as summarized in the Apostles' Creed, we 
now come to the point in our service where we hear from you and from your word. And so please give us clarity as we study and please help us to walk in a way that honors and glorifies you. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter six, beginning in verse 20. Last week, as we looked at um, verses 12 through 19 of Proverbs six, we compared um, the seven things that are detestable to God and looked at um, alternative actions in the Beatitudes to that. Um, And I neglected to give credit where credit is due. That idea did come from one of the commentators, a man by the name of Bruce Waltke. And so I wanted to take an opportunity to give credit where credit is due for that. So um, today we will look at Proverbs chapter six, beginning in verse 20, picking up once again Solomon's warning to his son against the sin of adultery. So hear the word of the Lord. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life, keeping you from the immoral woman. From the smooth tongue of the wayward wife, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, you have told us in your word that whenever your word goes out, it will not return empty. And so, Lord, as I proclaim your word today, may it land. May it bring about fruit of righteousness in the lives of those who hear it. May their hearts be stirred to pursue greater glory, to pursue greater holiness so that you might be glorified. Lord, show us your good gospel in this word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are returning to Solomon's teaching on adultery, which began in chapter 5, verse 1, and ran through the end of chapter 5. It's going to pick up here in verse 20 of chapter 6 and run all the way again to the end of Uh, chapter 7. Solomon, if we look at the percentage in this introductory section of chapters 1 through 9, Solomon spends an awful lot of time talking about sexual sin, talking about specifically the sin of adultery, but we can um, expand his teaching to cover all sexual immorality, 
all sexual sin. It's a big temptation in our world today. Sexual sin is and it's a big temptation back for Solomon. As I mentioned last week, it is ironic. It is almost sad that Solomon spends so many words in the book of Proverbs trying to teach his son the dangers of sexual sin, the dangers of adultery. And his fall is tied to that very thing. As we're told later in his reign that he turned his eyes from God to idolatry because of the influence of 300 wives and 700 concubines. We even see and we'll talk about that David's life was marked. There is a definite turning in the account of David's life in Samuel that hinges upon sexual sin. And Solomon opens up this call to his son to heed the father's command, to heed the mother's teaching with a linking of this teaching to the law, because he says that this teaching is what will keep him from going to the immoral woman who will keep him, who will protect the son from the smooth talk, the seductive words of the wayward wife. And he links this teaching to the law as he introduces it to to his son. First, he does this in three ways. First, the way he does this is the call to bind the teaching to the heart and to the neck. This echoes God's call in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, where they were told to bind the word, the law to their forehead and to their hand. Now, the idea there is not to to take a box or a Bible and tape it to your forehead or to your hand. The idea is to put the word into your head in such a way that all of your thoughts are filtered through the word of God. You internalize the word of God in such a way that all of your work, the work of your hands is done according to the law and by the binding of the word of God and for his glory. We add the binding to the neck to show that the parental teaching based upon the word of God will keep you from turning your neck for that second look, that second lustful look as that woman or that man walks by. The second way Solomon ties his teaching to the law is the promise that his teaching will provide the constant guidance, whether awake or asleep. This echoes God's call in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen to make sure that the law is carried with you throughout your home life, throughout your work life, as you get up, as you lay down, as you leave your house in the morning for work, as you return to your house in the evening from work. The law guides us, the law teaches us, the law speaks to us as the word of God. And then thirdly, Solomon calls his teaching and the mother's teaching a light and a lamp. Almost a direct quote from Psalm 119, 105, where we are told that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And he does all that leading up to the command, the main point of this particular talk to the son, which is do not lust in your heart after the beauty of the wayward wife or the immoral woman, or do not let her captivate you with her eyes. The teaching of the parents, the law, if internalized, will protect the son from pursuing adultery, 
from pursuing the married woman who is looking to be involved with another man who is not her husband. And as Solomon goes on from this command, he does so giving us three comparisons to show us the danger of ignoring the teaching and giving yourself to sexual temptation. The first comparison is that the price is higher than you can afford. The second comparison is that the damage done is more than you can sustain. And the third comparison is that the shame is more than you can bear. First, the price is higher than you can afford. Now, if you have a different translation, if you put several translations next to each other and looked at verse 26, you might come up with almost as many different uh, sentence structures and uh, points made as there are translations. Verse 26 is one of those verses that in the original language is just really, really difficult to translate the first line that we have in the NIV as for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread is basically in the original language of the prostitute of a loaf of bread. Two prepositional phrases smashed together with no verb, with no subject, with nothing to help us see what it is. But if we look at the second half of the verse, and that's always good to do in poetic literature is to look at the second half of the verse compared to the first half, because in some way, shape or form, whether through contrast, whether through magnification, whether through repetition, it gives us the sense of the first line. It completes it. It's a parallelism that helps us get a better sense in the poetic literature of the Old Testament. And the second line says the adulteress preys upon your life. And it gives us the idea of a cost structure here, a comparison of a cost structure. So rather, instead of the prostitute reducing you to a loaf of bread, it may be better to say the prostitute cost you a loaf of bread and the adulteress cost you your very life. During this time, from what we can tell, for the price of a meal, you could have a prostitute. But... It will cost you your very life to go in after an adulteress. Now, let me stop right here for just a second. Solomon is not encouraging his son to go out and find a prostitute if he's tempted to go after an adulterous wife. We see later on in the book of Proverbs, we will also see throughout all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament that God calls it a sin to engage the services of a prostitute. But what he's saying here is you think you're getting off cheap. But the price is pretty high. You think you're going into this and saving yourself the cost of a meal by chasing after an adulterous wife. But what you'll find out later on is it will cost you potentially your very life. Now, we see the cost of this in two different ways. First, we learn in the latter part of the passage that the woman has a husband who will exact revenge. As we just read from verse 34 for for jealousy arouses a husband's fury and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. The idea behind the word translated revenge is the idea of the husband taking you to the authorities who would be in charge of judging against the sin of adultery in the law. The first first five books of the Bible, adultery was a capital crime. Leviticus 20 Verse 10, Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, both make it clear that both parties caught in the adulterous act should be put to death. 
Now there is some there is some evidence throughout the history of Israel that this was not often carried out. Oftentimes grace was given to the offending people. Especially if it was a a husband and a wife. There is some evidence that the offended spouse may be given the right of throwing the first stone. And yet he or she may not have taken that right out of grace and a desire for reconciliation with their spouse. But in this incidence, Solomon warns his son that the husband of the spouse could pursue the law and have the son's life for the price of the adultery. The second way in which we see this is through the teaching of all of Scripture. While this passage is about adultery, and in this passage, adultery is adultery. Adultery is not always adultery in the Scriptures. Because throughout the prophetic books, God portrays himself as the offended spouse, as the offended husband, as his wife Israel commits the sin of adultery and pursuing idolatry throughout their life. Look at the book of Hosea. And see that God calls Hosea to take an adulterous, an adulterous wife as an example of Israel's relationship with God. Whenever we pursue the idols of our lives, we don't bow down to statues. We don't have those physical idols that they had there, but we idolize sex. We idolize drugs. We idolize entertainment. We idolize Leisure, leisure, however you pronounce that word. We idolize those things and put them in the place of God, asking them for salvation, asking them for relief, asking them for meaning, asking them for grace. When we should be going to God, we turn our back upon God and we pursue the pleasures of this world. And in doing that, we commit adultery against God. Thanks be to God that we have a man who was tempted as we are and yet without sin. Who gave himself in our place so that we might not only have salvation, but we might have the strength, the ability, the desire to pursue God rather than the idols of our lives. Because brother and sister, just as it was too high for Solomon's son The price of adultery, the price of idolatry, the price of sin is far more than any of us can pay. So Solomon tells his son, the price is higher than you can afford. Secondly, the damage is more than you can sustain. Beginning in verse 27, can man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Once again, we have this picture here of a comparison, one between another. The two questions asked in verse 27 and 28 are asked in such a way that they demand a no answer. They demand an answer in the negative. The picture in verse 27, you probably don't need me to describe it for you. It's probably pretty simple, but think about firing up uh, your fire pit. After you get the wood burning and everything's good and hot, you've got those coals that are at the bottom that even if the fire goes out, you can come back a little bit later, throw some wood on top of those coals and the fire springs right back up because they're pretty hot. And the picture is a man sitting down, kind of holding his hands in his laps like this and somebody taking a shovel, 
picking up those coals and dropping them in his lap. And the question is, will his clothes be burned? Well, absolutely his clothes will be burned and so will he. He's going to have third degree burns. It's going to be painful. He might likely die from it. The second question is very similar. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Now, Mythbusters did an episode several years ago and said that if you walk across hot coals in just the right way, yes, you can do it without your feet being scorched. You got to go quick, though. You can't kind of lollygag and sit there and stand for too long. Otherwise, your feet will be scorched. However, just like adultery in Scripture is not always adultery, feet in Scripture are not always feet. Babies are born from between a mother's feet. Abraham's seed came out from between his feet. Feet is a euphemism for something else oftentimes in Scripture. And here we have a picture of coals being dumped in somebody's lap. Here we also have a picture of adulterous sex being like, well, dragging your feet through the coals. Can you do that without getting scorched? And the answer is no. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. The damage that falls out from an adulterous relationship is far more than anybody can sustain. Families are ripped apart. In some cases, churches are ripped apart. Communities are ripped apart. Lives are changed for the negative forever. There is far more damage than we think about when it comes to an adulterous relationship. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about their propensity to go after prostitutes in the temples. He says, you are joining Christ to a prostitute in that. Do you not know that? Do you not understand that you do damage to the glory of God when you give in to sexual sin and to sexual temptation? So the price is higher than you can afford. The damage is more than you can sustain. And the shame is more than you can bear. Solomon in his last comparison here talks about shame. He opens up verse 30 with a discussion of the hungry thief. The man who is hungry and cannot feed his family. Well, he may turn to theft in order to provide for his family. And Solomon says that even if this man is caught, most people will have pity on this person. Yes, he will be expected to pay back sevenfold, it says here, which is probably a poetic hyperbole. The law said either four or fivefold did you have to pay back. But they'll have pity on him. I mean, think about it. We've all seen the person who's just absolutely hungry. And they're in an area where they shouldn't be eating food they shouldn't be because it doesn't belong to them. And you feel sorry for him, do you not? Yeah, if he's stolen something or she's stolen something, he's got to pay it back. He's got to pay the price. But man, we just feel sorry for that person. Not so the adulterer. Not only will the adulterer have punishment, which we've talked about, he will also have shame. We see this literally in verse 33, where Solomon says that the shame of the adultery will never be wiped away. The shame may come through loss of reputation, reputation, 
It may come through loss of money or it may come just through having to go through the process of having your name dragged before the elders and rulers of the day. From the time we meet Daniel in first Samuel or David, excuse me, in first Samuel 16 until second Samuel 10, things are going great. No matter what he's going through, whether Saul's seeking his life, whether he's having military victories at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, he is seen as somebody who seeks after the glory of God above all things. And then we get to 2 Samuel 11. And there he is. He, the, the, the scripture says he probably should have been out with the armies at war, and yet he stayed home and he saw Bathsheba. And things spiral from there. He takes her. He murders her husband. He loses a child. His family descends into sexual and violent madness. One of his sons rapes one of his daughters. Another son murders the son that raped the daughter and then tries to take David's throne. When Solomon finally comes to the throne, he has to murder at least one, if not more of his brothers in order to keep the throne. And even now, 3000 years later, we typically qualify the statement. David was a man's after God's own heart. Well, even though he messed up with Bathsheba and Uriah. The shame is more than we can bear. We see this explicitly. We also see it indirectly in verse 32. He brings himself to ruin because he lacks judgment. When it says he lacks judgment, it means he lacks heart. What's supposed to be in the heart? The word of God, the teaching of the parents. He is morally deficient. As one of the commentators said, he is morally stupid. There's nothing he can do about removing the shame, removing the spot, removing the damage or the price. While the thief can wash away his sin, the adulterer does not have enough money to pay the price. As we wrap up there, talking about the husband, it says he will not accept any compensation He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. Nothing can pay for the removal of the shame of the adulterer. The price is more than you can pay. The damage is more than you can sustain. And the shame is greater than you can bear. So what can we do to avoid sexual sin? Well, right where Solomon started. Bind the teachings upon your heart forever. Fasten them around the neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Sexual temptation is all around us. And God has given us exactly what we need to fight it. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit needs something to work with. And that is the word of God. And it doesn't do us enough just to read it every morning, as good as that is, as profitable as that is for the people of God. Until we can, as Solomon repeatedly says so far in these first six chapters, make them in your heart, put them in your heart, guard your heart with the word of God, fill it with the word of God, fill it with the grace of Jesus, fill it with the law of God, fill it with the beauty of the poet's. And fill it with the calls to repentance from the prophets and the grace of the New Testament. Fill your heart with those things. 
so that you can bear up and avoid temptation. How do we fill our hearts with the word of God? Heard me say it before. I am going to say it again. First, we have to fill our minds with it. And that's that dreaded M word. Memorize. Start small. If you've got to start with John eleven thirty five, start there. Jesus wept. Drive that one in and then find a, a little bit longer verse and start working with that one. Find a little bit longer one and start working with that one. Then take bigger passages. Make it a lifelong habit. I understand you're not going to have a lot of scripture memorized by the time you get here next Sunday. But if you can pick one verse, even if it's the one I just gave you, if you can pick one verse this week and memorize it. And then don't put that card away. Well, first off, write it on a card. Carry that card in your pocket, your purse, wherever you carry stuff with you all day long. And every now and then pull that card out. Read it. Try to say it yourself. Read it again, try to say it yourself again, and pop it back in your pocket. Pull it out again another hour or two, try it again. Don't just get rid of that card once you got it memorized. Several months ago, I, I, I celebrated the fact that I memorized that, that passage, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is, and there's the problem. I put the card down, and here I am a couple months later, and I don't remember what comes next again. you got to just kind of keep doing it again. You may not have to review it, Every day, you can go to a time where you review it every week as you learn new stuff and then review it every month as you move other stuff into the once a week category. But you got to continue reviewing it. Internalize that law. And then ask the spirit, go to God and say, look, I've, I've taken your word. I've hidden it in my in my mind. Will the spirit then please hide it in my heart? So that then it guides my will It guides my desires. It guides my decisions. It keeps my neck from taking the second look at that woman or that man as he or she walks by. It guards my mind from going to those places, those deep, dark places where the fantasies reside. It guards my fingers from typing in the websites or the apps that take me to pictures I shouldn't be looking at. Because it reminds me of the grace and the goodness and the law of God. And then when I fail, those things remind me of the forgiveness that is there as well. It reminds me that, yes, all I do, all I need to do is repent and God will forgive. He will pick me up and he will set me back on the path as these words guide me when I walk, as they watch over me when I sleep and as they speak to me when I am awake. Brothers and sisters, hide God's word in your heart so that it may be that lamp and that light. Let us pray. God, you are great and worthy of praise. How how privileged we are that you have given us your law. How privileged we are that you have given us the spirit to make your word clear to us, to help us grow in you, to help us be more like you and to help us do that work of internalizing. We are to be about that work, but we are not alone in that work. You have given us the spirit that illuminates that word and that moves it from our head to our heart so that we may be guided, so that we may be kept, so that we may be spoken to by you. Lord, many of us have cried out before, Lord, why can't we hear you speak? Yet we have your speaking right there to us in your word. Help us to hear, help us to listen, help us 
to put your word in our heart so that we might not sin against you. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book. It is hymn number 318. There is a place of quiet rest. That place is in the presence of God for his people. And that place is where we all reside. So let us stand and sing of that place. Hymn number 318. There is a place of quiet rest. As you go this week, please take this blessing upon you. Got it down there, but not up here. May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen. And we pray with the saints who have come before us. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.